This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Holy cow! Grab a seat, pop a cold one. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. And let's talk some sports. You got to get it done! Pujols with the widespread stance, arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. The 1-1 pitch. A swing, and there it goes! Left field, way back! That's home run number 700! Pujols hits a three-run homer, and he hit 699 and 700 at Dodger Stadium on September 23rd, 2022. 8.23 p.m. Pacific time. They can't stop it. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Yes! Good. Let's go, baby. Upset in champagne. The Illini win it. 
But that sound you heard is a kickoff to season four of Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Welcome back. I know it took some time off here, but it was kind of well-deserved, I guess. I bet this is now the fourth season for Talking Sports on the Bleachers. And I appreciate everybody that's uh, been around with me for the four years. And uh, hopefully we'll have a few more years to go. So we're going to get this going and rolling here. And uh, if you've been a listener before, you know, I'm, I appreciate you coming back. If you're brand new, I hope you become a frequent flyer. You know, we've had lots of guests and specials over the years. And uh, I plan to have some more. But today's just going to be you and me and kind of get back to what we've done. Last time we talked, uh, it was December, so it's January 30th now. I took over a month off. Um, I've been a little sporadic. I've had some issues lately with uh, some family stuff going on. I've got a uh, cousin that um, has been needed needed, uh, some lung surgery, a lung replacement, actually. He finally got that done. He's on the mend, and so now I kind of got everything out of clear from that, so we're Back to talking sports on the bleachers. Now, it's a proud part of the Gateway City Sports Network. And at Gateway City Sports, you're going to find blogs, articles, and podcasts on many sports in and around the St. Louis Bi-State area. Check it out at gatewaycitysports.com. Okay, so last time we talked, the winter meetings hadn't happened yet. And they just went, they just, well, they just, they finished uh, last month. Um, and it was the, probably the, one of the biggest nothing burgers I think I've ever seen as far as the, uh, uh, winter meetings go. Um, the biggest real, the, the Yankees made the biggest, uh, splash, I guess you will, if you could say, and, and what I mean, they're making the trade for, um, uh, uh Juan Soto. They traded, uh, Drew Thorpe, Michael King, Randy Vasquez, and catcher Hagasa Shoka uh, to San Diego for Soto and Trent Grisham. They also made a trade right before that to pick up Alex Verdugo. So they're kind of shoring up their outfield, if you will. Uh, after that, it got really pedestrian in the uh, in the winter um, uh, meetings, if you will. Um, you know, some of the names of note that got moved around were Eduardo Rodriguez was signed by the Diamondbacks. He, Diamondbacks, he got a four-year, $80 million contract. Uh, Jameer Candelario got a three-year, $45 million contract. And other than that, to go, he was playing for the Reds, or plays for the Reds now. Uh, other than that, the winter meetings were just almost, almost a waste of time. That's just what it was. A, a few rumors, but no action, no urgency. Now, I want to play you a, something uh, that uh, Ron Nettle and Pete Geddes talked about on Team Arrivals podcast, which also can be found at gatewaycitysports.com. This is about a week or so before the Dodgers landed Otani, and they were discussing the winter meetings, and uh, I'm going to play this clip now, and I've got another one later. Hey, the winter meetings are done, Ron. And all I can say is, um, nobody even knew they started. Yeah, exactly. This right. was terrible. Like there weren't even, there weren't even rumors. I mean, yes, there oh, were rumors, but there were no rumors. Nothing happened. My button's, my button's better for the winter meeting. Okay. That's exactly like, it's just, there were like two teams that made noise. I think maybe. Um, but this is, this is what it is, Pete. This is what it has not sat well with me. And it, 
traces back to the same player, and I don't, it, it, it's not rational. It's not fair to the individual. But it comes down to one name, one person, like it was years ago, that all this noise was made about. And yeah, I know he's a two-way player. I know he's the next Babe Ruth, although he hasn't even come close to Babe Ruth's numbers. Babe Ruth is... But Shohei Otani. Oh, I thought you were talking about Michael Lorenzo. No, this is... You, you sure. said two a player. I immediately thought Michael Lorenzen. No, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's gone ridiculous again. Once a year, another year we go by where it's all controlled by hype, well, media. I, I will it, tell you, Ron. It, it, I think what has complicated it more. It's so it sucks, man. It, like we shouldn't have to deal with this shit. Like the off season, the winter meetings have been frozen by this. F- guy's decision and that's the truth pete and you know it like a lot of teams are frozen they won't make other little moves they won't make other moves because they're waiting to see what the hell he'll do well i don't disagree with you but i think what has complicated it is that there are so many teams in on yamamoto and it's not the same group of teams and but so, it's the but same exact irritant, Pete. It's the same exact irritant. We're is. talking about a guy who's never thrown a single I know. major league pitch ever. And, and just the, like the U.S. media did with Shohei Otani showing his picture right next to the world champion Astros, they're doing the same thing with this guy. And it is just frozen the offseason, and it sucks. I hate it, it so does, much. I don't disagree. I and what I and honestly, I do think that because there is a little bit of overlap, right? Supposedly the Cubs were interested in Yamamoto, but the report is is that they're out. It's gotten too rich for them. But the Dodgers are interested in him. The Yankees are interested. The Mets are interested. Um, But there are other teams that are interested in him, and it's not a perfect overlap with the teams that are the supposed finalists on Otani. And so I think that with the exception of the Dodgers, right, the teams that do overlap, like the Cubs did for a little while, weren't going to commit to either one until they knew what was happening with the other. And so it's in each player's interest to wait to see what happens. Unfortunately, it means that the winter meetings got all bollocksed up because when you normally might have seen moves, you might have seen trades, right? Normally, the Soto trade would have been the beginning of the onslaught. Right. As soon as teams knew that they were out on Soto, then they start making their other moves. And that can't happen this year because, you know, what these guys are saying is not wrong. It's not. I mean, you had an entire week of what is normally the, um, I don't know what you call it, the, the, the fastest week in baseball, maybe, but, you know, where there's a lot of moving and shaking going on and nothing happened. And it's only because of two guys, you know. And Pete made a good point. You get, and it's it's kind of what the thought I had too was that you you're looking at all these teams that didn't make a move. Why didn't they make a move? You know. And Pete said it. It's because they're looking at this whole who's going to sign him so that you know you already had a plan A, B, C, D, and E. Okay, you you had contingency plans if you weren't going to get this guy. And it just really boggles my mind 
that, you know, because let's face it, you knew the Dodgers, Blue Jays, Giants, Mets, possibly Cubs, uh, maybe Padres were going to be swimming in those waters. Although the Padres have backed, you know, they completely went the other direction once they traded show, once they traded uh, Soto. I didn't think they were going to be in on Otani at all. Um, but, you know, and you had teams like the Cardinals and Phillies that made some signings ahead of the uh, winter meetings. But these teams that were swimming in the deep waters, you know, uh, they knew they were going to be there. But what about the other teams? What about the ones that didn't have their Archie Sandals on? You know, that, that were that were overstanding in the wading pool. You know, why were they waiting? They knew they weren't. I mean, I mean the Pirates, the Reds, uh, the, the Braves. They knew they were not going to be in on Marlins. They knew they were not going to be in on Otani. They knew they were not going to be in on Yanomoto. There was some rumor about the Braves. Um, the Royals. Why did the Royals wait until after the winter meetings to go after Seth Lugo? Did they think they had a shot at Otani? Did they think they had a shot at Yamamoto? Why not get the deals that you were going to go ahead and make? Make those deals. I don't understand what, why, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, now, you know, other international players were in the mix, too. I mean, you had, um, uh, what's his name? No, uh, oh, can't think of it right now off the top of my head. Oh, there it is. Yes. Um, you know, Jung-Hoo Lee, who signed with uh, the Giants. You had um, Yuki Matsui, who the Cardinals actually uh, entertained, uh, met with, and he signed with the Padres. Uh, the uh, Cubs picked up Japanese starter Shoto Imanaga. Um, so there's been some movement around of some different players from the from the across the pond, the uh, Pacific Pond, if you will. Um, but you know, I just again, like I said, I don't understand why. And even since then, since even though there has been moves, you still have guys like Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. They're out there waiting to be picked up. Um, I, you know, uh, the Cubs just signed Hector Norris uh, to a, a, a contract. You know, and it's just it's, but it's still moving slow. I mean, uh, Cody Bellinger is still out there and available. Jorge Jorge Soler, uh, J.D. Martinez. You know, you've got a lot of guys that are still out there looking for a team to play with. And, you know, still not much going on. Now, some of it could be linked to the in, the whole TV contract thing and what's happening with that. And you just you just do not know, um, you know, what they're going to do with deal with there. Uh, a lot of rumors flying around about um, Amazon and other entities wanting to pick up games and certain teams are already uh, looking into buying their own regional networks. And, you know, in uh, it's time like this. I would love to have a stock in like Tums or Mylanta because <laughs> you got to figure all these baseball execs are either as good as headache powder. They're always, you know, the, these execs have got headaches and upset stomachs by the score just because of the stress. And stress is everywhere. We have a lot of stress in our daily lives, work, kids, school, even stress at home. But there's one place trying to do something about that. That place is Fifth Street Motors at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri. 
At Fifth Street Motors, they take the stress out of car buying. At Fifth Street Motors, they'll help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. They believe in giving you the absolute best price on a pre-owned vehicle. That's going to fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today, 573-259-1306, and check out Stress-Free Car Buying. That number again is 573-259-1306. And make sure to tell them that Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleacher sent you. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about that, that uh, Shohei Otani deal and what effect it has had and what it could have in the future. Now, Tiny gets a 10-year, $700 million deal. $680 million of that is deferred until after the contract expires or he's done playing, whichever happens to come first. Uh, so that basically means from 2034 to 2043, he's going to get paid $68 million a year to do nothing. And not a bad gig when you can get it, I'm telling you, folks. Uh, but here, as Paul Harvey used to say, is the rest of the story. In an article by the LA Times, uh, the deal is a little more complex than what people are given to think. Now, while the basics are true that he gets Otani's going to get $2 million a year in salary to play for the next 10 years for the Dodgers, that part is true. $68 million a year for 10 years from 2034 to 2043. That part is true. But under the MLB collective bargaining agreement, money that is deferred to a player must be fully funded, and this is in quotes, must be fully funded by the club in an amount equal to the present value of the total deferred compensation obligation within two years of when the deferred compensation is earned. Basically what that means is they have to start setting aside in the next two years they have to start setting aside money to make sure that it is available for the $68 million. Now, it doesn't have to be $68 million. Um, according to what they say, that the, the CBA re requires only present value. Um, so this year money is going to be cheaper than down the road money. So according to the article and what I read, the present value of the $68 million payment in 2034 right now is worth $46 million. So in two years, and that could change over the next couple of years, but in two years, they're going to have to start putting aside $46 million a year um, in some type of a uh, escrow type account uh, that in theory or projected to be $68 million when the payment comes due. Now, again, like I said, the, 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 that figure could get 46 million dollar figure could grow over the next couple of years depending on the economy and so forth um so where does this put the dodgers in terms of the luxury tax it puts them in a catbird seat if you actually want to be honest uh because the deferred payments do not count until 2034 and at that point they'll have 68 million dollars owed to players not counting rosters so that's when it's going to kick in um, it's not going to kick in now over these next few years. That's why they had the ability to sign Yamamoto uh, to extend um, Glass now. They because they they're only on the hook for two million dollars. So if you're only on the hook for two million dollars, you ain't got to worry about that luxury tax. Um, now what's going to help the fact of keeping uh, coming up with that money and paying the luxury tax? is the estimated $50 million a year uh, in merchandise and endorsements uh, that Otani is going to bring into the Dodger coffers, if you will. Uh, 
So one thing has to be considered is how long, though, is he going to be at that level? I mean, and this is something, again, I'll play another clip here from Ron in a second about, about Otani, is, yeah, he's all the big rage hype now in Japan. But as we're seeing with, with Emanaga and Yamamoto and all these guys coming over, how long is he going to be that high? How long are fans going to want his jersey? You know, yeah, they did with with um, uh, Ichiro. I mean, Ichiro was a was a big seller for many, many, many years. Uh, phenomenal uh, player from Japan, um, and you know, Otani. And I'll get to this clip from Ron in a second. And I didn't realize this. You know, everybody talks about how big of a power hitter. Yeah, he hit 40-some bombs this year. But his average is only 28 home runs a year. You know, his biggest claim and the biggest draw, he, the, the big reason he is a big draw, I should say, is because he pitches and plays a position. So... There you have the situation that next year he's not going to pitch because he's still going to be recovering from the Tommy John surgery, which is his second Tommy John surgery, I might add. So he's not pitching in 24, at least not until probably September, if he pitches at all, and then 24. And when he comes back in 25, will he be able to be the same elite pitcher that he has been? Or will he will he suffer a setback? I mean, a, a, a decline, I should say. You know, is he going to be that top pitcher he's always been? I don't know. I don't think the Dodgers know. I mean, the Dodgers took a hell of a gamble in the respect of uh, what they've got paying him after his contract, not during the contract. He's only getting making two million, so that's not a big skin. But. They're banking on him being able to pitch at the elite level he pitched with um, uh, the the Angels. Uh, and I don't know if he's going to pitch at that level. They don't know. And like I said, Ron's going to get to that in just a second here with this. Um, so, And let's just go to that. I wanna, I'll play this clip from Ron Nuttle. And uh, again, on the Team of Rivals podcast, which can be found at gatewaycitysports.com. Like Really? Somebody's going to pay him $50 million a year for what? To hit 28 home runs a year. That's what he's averaged since he's been in the big leagues. 28. Impressive number. But really, we're talking about that. We're talking about paying a guy to hit 28 home runs a year, $50 million, and he might pitch again. But we don't know because he's had his second surgery. Right, and he definitely so won't pitch next year. Spending all of our energy and time talking about one f- guy who ba- Major League Baseball was desperate to make the next next Ichiro, and here we are. Yeah, and again, Ron is not wrong in his assessment. I mean, you know, he was saying fifty minutes at that time. We didn't know what they were going to pay Otani. But, you know, this is a hell of a risk for the Dodgers, not to mention the other risk they take, they took with Yamamoto, and, and he mentioned that earlier in the first clip. You know, the guy's never thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball. And you've signed him for the next 12 years. And you're going to pay him $27 million a year, I believe it is, if I, if I remember. Yeah, 
Um, his deal carries him until age 37. $22.9 million a year for a guy that has never pitched a day in Major League Baseball. And then you also have Tyler Glass now, who hasn't pitched a full season in his six years in the league. Last year was his biggest year in terms of innings. He only went 120 innings. And, you know, they signed him to, uh, uh, what was it, uh, $27 million a year for him for the next five years, I think it is. The Dodgers have taken a hell of a risk. You know, if Otani was would have been that good, if they would have jumped, if, if Otani would have been this good without the surgery and he's going to be able to pitch, I doubt they make the deal for, for Yamamoto or Glass now. Now, one of the two they wouldn't have made, I don't think. Um, but without having him next year, they needed to show up the pitching. And they, I, I personally, I don't know why they didn't take a Snell, why they didn't take Montgomery. I think that would have been a better option. Um, you know, because neither one of those are going to outlast the Otani contract. Well, Mike Montgomery might, but uh, you know, I don't see them. But you know, it's it just it is what it is, I guess. Um, so let's talk about this money angle here. Okay, so the Dodgers have got a billion dollars in overall salary for two free agent pitchers over the next ten to twelve years, between ten and twelve years. Um. And then if you add glass now in, that puts them just a little bit of one billion two, I think, or something of that nature, in that, in that realm of possibility. One, one billion two, one billion three. Anyway, the Dodgers have spent a ton of money. That's my point. And how many times have we seen that come back to bite a team in the ass? Last year with the Mets, top payroll in MLB, in the New York Mets. They didn't even make the playoffs. They were selling off pitchers at the deadline. Um, you've seen it with uh, other teams. I mean, go back over the, 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 the Padres. Look at the money they've spent over the last few years. You know, started with Hosmer. Then they then they brought in Machado. Then they brought in Bog, uh, Soto and Hayter and Bogarts. They're not going anywhere. Now they're selling off play. They let they let Hader go. They sold, uh, traded uh, Soto. You know they've got Tatis. They just signed him to a big extension, but you know they haven't done anything. Uh, then you look at uh, like I said, the top three teams in payroll. I said Mets, Yankees, and Padres. Yankees didn't make the playoffs. They were number two in payroll. So not always is spending money the best way to get into the playoffs or to guarantee you a World Series. I mean, that's just the way it is, folks. You you, you can't... I just don't think that the, the money is the... Now, I know I get... I get pushed back from a couple guys at Gateway City, um, and 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 Mike, you know, you Mike and Mike uh, Stevenson and I have have gone around about this numerous numerous times, um, but you know, yes, you do need to spend money. I mean, there, there's no two ways about it. In this day of free agency, you're going to have to spend some money. You're going to be spending $20 million on a pitcher. You're going to be spending $15, $18 million on, uh, on a right fielder, uh, things of that nature. It's going to happen. We know this. But you don't have to go out and get every bright, shiny penny that's on the market. 
you know, I've said this before, you need some of those dirty nickels and dirty dimes um, that are going to go out there and play their guts out no matter what they get paid. You're going to bring up those kids that aren't going to be making a ton of money. You don't always have to have a money in the mix to make something work. I mean, Charlie Finley did that, and he managed to do it for three years with Oakland. Uh, Steinbrenner had a good run throwing money around in New York. But eventually that money ends because eventually you run out of those. You don't run out of them, but you you, um, reach your limit, and you've traded all these pieces, these young pieces. You don't have anything really because you're not investing in the minor leagues. And next thing you know, you need somebody to come up and pick up for an all-star right fielder, and you don't have one in your in your stable. You've got right fielders, but nothing that's going to be close to that category or even uh, uh, major league a- a- adequate. Many times that happens. So, you know, I, I, while you do need to spend money, I'm not a believer in opening up the bank vault and just getting every top player that's wanting $20 million plus and putting them on your roster. That's just the way I look at it. Um, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll take a look at what the Cardinals did here in just a second, right after I tell you about hydration multiplication. Well, that's what you get from the number one powdered sports drink in America. It's called Liquid IV. It delivers two times faster hydration in water, three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It uses cellular transport technology, which acts as a hydration multiplier designed to deliver more rapid absorption of water into the body. It also delivers key vitamins of B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. It's non-GMO, contains no soy or dairy, and it's gluten-free. Comes in a variety of formulas. Uh, they have an electrolyte replacement formula, like any other sports drink would have. They have an energy hydration formula that's a heck of a lot better than Red Bull, I think. Um, used it myself many times. They have an immune boosting formula, uh, help you to fight off those nasty colds. They have a kombucha blend for dietary health, and they even have a formula for better sleep through hydration. They have a multitude of flavors, and they all taste very light, very refreshing, no aftertaste. You know, I'm kind of partial to golden cherry, azu, pineapple, and strawberry lemonade. But they also have other flavors like lemon lime, green grape, white peach, and pina colada. It comes in sugar-free that uses an amino acid blend instead of artificial sweeteners. There's even a hydration formula designed for kids. And it's in flavors they love. Concord grape, crisp apple, tropical punch, banana, and cotton candy. Liquid IV is conveniently packaged in individual pouches or sticks. You can take it literally anywhere, the beach, the gym, the office, the school, even on an airplane. Did you know that the humidity in an airplane is 5 to 12% less than that of the Sahara Desert? So long flights can get you dehydrated, which causes jet lag. Now, coffee and tea, alcohol, that's not going to help you. That's what they offer on those flights. Ask for a bottle of water. Drop in a stick and stay hydrated. And fight the jet lag. Liquid IV also cares about the world we live in, so they resource sustainable materials from family farms. They use 100% recycled materials in their packaging, and they have provided grants to help expand access to clean and abundant water in other countries. So right now, go to liquidiv.com, use the promo code GCS at checkout to get 20% off. You can also shop Better Hydration by using my personal link, Z E N dot 
AI slash Talking Sports on the Bleachers and get 20% off anything you buy. That's 20% off anything you buy using my link, zen.ai talking slash Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Check out Hydration Multiplication. Try Liquid IV. Go to liquidiv.com. Use the promo code GCS at checkout. Okay, so I've seen the post all over social media about well about how the Cardinals have just bollocksed the offseason, if you will, uh, going after low-hanging fruit. Mo hasn't done anything. We should have been all in on Yamamoto. Uh, we're not going to win until DeWitt sells the team, and they're only caring about Ballpark Village. I've heard it all, people. And for what I'm going to tell you people, quit your crying. Okay, and start looking at what's actually going on because I'm gonna tell you, uh, and, and you know, and it's gotten worse. <laughs> it's gotten worse. A couple few days ago, when they signed Matt Carpenter, I knew the onslaught was coming. Um, and I get it. I understand the frustration. Last year was horrible. We don't want to repeat it last year. By the same token, give them a little credit for what they did do this year. I think Mo realized. Or the front office realized they were not going to be in on Otani. They were not going to be in on Yamamoto. So they decided, hey, let's do a preemptive strike because we know nobody's going to be trading anybody over the winter meetings. No free agents are going to be signing until they know, you know, until we get in the winter meetings, until they know where Yamamoto's going. So let's do our due diligence and we'll see what we can get now. And they did. You know, you picked up the uh, Cy Young, American League Cy Young runner-up in Sonny Gray. You picked up a 15-game winner in Gibson. And you reunited your, with Lance Lynn. Um, I'll go over all those in just a little bit here. That's not a bad little grouping. Now, you know, I have to admit I was a little dismayed at the Lance Lynn. But, you know, let, let's, and we'll go with him first since he was the first one picked or uh, given a contract. Now, people point to his ERA, which is 5.73 last year, 5.73 between the White Sox and the Dodgers last year. Now, four years, the four years prior, his ERA was an average of 3.42. Okay. So, now if you actually figure his runs per game, he has given up 784 earned runs in 231 games because people are saying last this year, um, well, if he gives up five runs a game and only pitches six innings, how? Okay, first of all, if you think that's his ERA and he only pitches six innings, you have no idea how ERA is calculated. Number one, number two, ERA is not all is not the be all end all. So there, just take those two facts and put it away in your brain somewhere. If you look at again, like I said, what his earned runs per game because he pitches he pitches six innings a game or give give or take six innings. Uh, did for the Dodgers uh, in the when this this past season, but if you look at that, he gives up three point three nine runs per start. Three point three nine. Now, if you're not scoring three to four runs a game yourself, no pitcher's going to be able to help you. Unless he is the rebirth of Cy Young and Don Sutton <laughs> and, you know, uh, all these other guys, Bob Gibson, you know, uh, you're just, when you've got a, a team 
If you can't score more than three to four runs a game, you're not going to win many ball games. I don't care how you how. And if he's only given up three runs, three less than three and a half runs in six innings, um, and you've got a decent enough bullpen, you should win a lot of games. You should. Um, now, some point to the extremely high amount of home runs he hit last. He gave up last year, uh, 44. And I'm not going to lie, that's concerning. Yeah, that we should be concerned with that. But I'm also going to say that could be an outlier because he's never, only twice in his career has he given up more than 20 home runs. Uh, 2017 with St. Louis, 2019 with Texas. I don't see him giving up 44 home runs in St. Louis. I really don't. You know, 81 games there, that is not necessarily a home run hitter's ballpark. Um and I think he's not going to – I don't think he's going to give up that much. I think you're going to see a little bit better. But then again, we're talking about a number four, number five starter. So really, I don't need him to be – have an ERA of under three with only five home runs given up a year and go seven innings. I don't need that out of my number four, number five. I need six innings who's going to keep me in a ball game and hopefully my offense can take care of it when he when he, my offense and the bullpen can take care of it when he gets out when he uh, we take him out of the game. Now, Kyle Gibson, this is a guy I wish they would have got a couple years ago. I was all for him a couple years ago when they had him and he 15 game winner for Baltimore, had 192 innings this past season. You know, that's not bad at all. We'll take that. Uh, four seven three ERAs, a little high, but then again, he's playing in Baltimore. Uh, but it was still good enough for being for thirty third amongst all pitchers with one hundred and sixty innings or more. His two point six WAR was thirty third, and and in innings pitched, he ranked eleventh. He's never been a big strikeout per nine guy. I mean, he's not going to throw. You know, 10, 9, 10, 11 strikeouts per game. You know, he's going to re right around that seven you know seven and a half mark so you, know, you take that uh but he does have a 48.9 percent ground ball rate ranks him eighth amongst major league pitchers now again i'm not saying that this guy is an ace i'm not saying that what i'm saying is he's a hell of a guy to have in your in the middle part of that rotation to fit with Michaelis and, and, and Mats. And I'll get to Mats here in a little bit. You, know, you think I'm crazy, but I'll get to Mats here in a little bit. So you've got those two guys. And then you sign Sonny Gray. Again, the runner-up to the Cy Young last year. Now, people, oh, he was all, how was he a Cy Young candidate with only eight wins? And then you look at the rest of his stats. I mean, the guy was very good. He had an ERA at 3.47, or he has a career ERA, excuse me, of 3.47 over the last 11 years. So this guy's been good for this long. Uh, he's a solid strikeout at 9 Ks per 9 innings. Um, he's got a 23% strikeout rate and a 47% ground ball rate. And if if you put him in St. In Louis with the defense that we've got, and I know it was not that great last year, but I do think we'll see a, a little bit of a resurgence in defense this this coming season. You know, and he's got a low home run rate of 2.2%. That guy is going to get you some wins. And if we, if we can put up the offense behind him. Now, some say, oh, well, we still have Michaelis and Mats. Okay, what's wrong with that? I'm going to be serious about it. What's wrong with that? You know, Michaelis. 
has had back-to-back years, last year and this year, over 200-plus innings, three times in the last five seasons. Now, that does date back to 2019, but he didn't play in 2020. Um, He also has had run support, bad run support this past season. 13 of his games this year, the offense scored two runs or less in the games he pitched. In 13 of those games. And in at least four of those games, when he left the game, he had given up two runs or less. So you figure that in. You know, you figure the point. He sh- he could he should easily have had six to eight more wins last year if the offense would have been playing the way they should have played. So now Stephen Matz, he's coming off injury again, and that's the big knock. And I'm not gonna lie, that is a huge knock. He needs to stay healthy. He hasn't for two years now. Um, but in his last seven starts in 23, before he had the uh, uh, lat, I think it was a lat strain, uh, something like that. Um, he was consistently into the sixth inning. He had an ERA. Now, catch this, catch this, people. In those last seven games, he had an ERA of 1.86. That's 1.86. That's very damn good. He had a 2.84 FIP. Opponents only hit 190. Plus, outside of a couple of games, he pitched pretty well coming out of the bullpen, too. So you've got this guy now in Steven Matz that, again, the knock, and I'll agree with you 100%, folks, if he can stay healthy, and that's become a big if for him, if he can stay healthy, he could really be a very good um, performer, either rotation-wise or even out of the pen if they end up you know, getting another pitcher, which I don't know if they will or not. We'll see. Uh, Mo has not shut the door on any of that type of stuff to get another uh, rotation piece. Like I said, Blake Snell is still out there, which I don't see the Cardinals getting in on him because – Scott Boris wants, um, I think, $200 million for uh, for 10 years for Blake Snell, and I just don't see that happening. Jordan Montgomery is still out there, and there's there's still been talk that the Cardinals have talked to him, and we don't know if that's going to happen or not, but it could. But all things considered, I think the rotation is in much better shape than we were last year. You know, and and to say that it, it was low-hanging fruit because we didn't go after Yamamoto, we didn't go after Otani. Well, Otani wasn't going to help you in a rotation next year anyway. And as we've talk, talked about earlier, he may never pitch again. So why worry about him? Yamamoto, yeah, would love to have him. But, you know, 200 and some odd million dollars a year, no, no thanks. Or uh, over a 12-year deal? No, thanks. You don't give a 12-year contract to a pitcher. You just don't. That's why I think the Philly and, and St. Louis, when they locked up, uh, Philly locked up Nolan, we made our trades early. I think the, the, they played it smart. They did the smart thing. Now, the Cardinals made other deals after the winter meetings. Of course, Tyler O'Neill was uh, traded for reliever Nick Robertson. And Richard Palacios uh, just recently was traded for Andrew Kittredge. Um, and they just also, Matt Carpenter, as I said earlier, signed to a one-year league minimum deal. And they just claimed off of waivers Alfonso Rivas. Um, so there's kind of the, and they, they picked up a Josh James uh, minor league deal. So they've, they've made some other deals here and there to to 
provide some depth and things of this nature. Uh, the one thing we got that that struck me as 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 kind of strange is you know we also had the Rule Five pickup, and I'll get to that guy here in a little bit. So we're we're kind of forced to carry a few guys in the roster here. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. Uh, I want to talk about Carpenter real quick though. You know, the Carpenter deal, I thought initially was a retirement deal purpose, you know, sign him for sign him, let him sit there for a couple of weeks and then he'll announce his retirement and he retires as a Cardinal and everybody else is all happy. Um, it didn't. It looks like it's not going to end up that way. They are serious about putting him on the roster and bringing him bringing him into the fold. Uh, now it's not a guarantee, and and Mosellock has said he's going to have to perform to be on the roster. And of course, we've heard that before. If he's on the roster, a lot of people said, "Well, whose spot does he take?" Well, literally nobody's. You're not going to put him at first base over Goldie. You're not going to put him at third base over Arenado. You're not going to put him ahead of Donovan or Gorman at second base. People say Walker is a horrible outfielder. Well, you aren't watching Walker if you think that, number one. You know, because the, the the starting lineup, I think, at this point is penciled in and set, for the most part, as Newt Bar, Edmund, and Walker in the outfield. Uh, win and uh, Arenado win and either Gorman or Donovan at second base, Goldschmidt at first. Contreras is your catcher. Your backups are going to be Carlson, Herrera, and again, like a, the Gorman-Donovan thing. Uh, you already got a uh, backup in that respect. You also figure that uh, Alec Burleson's going to be in the mix there, probably as the DH. You know, and then you've got a guy like uh, a Luke and Baker or Thomas Segesi. Those guys are all going to get their shots. Jose Fermin and the guy they just uh, picked up, uh, Afonso Rivas. So where does Carpenter fit in? Well, a lot of people said he's the 26th man that's going to be there to provide leadership and be, you know, I know they got rid of the, the, the shift per se, but does that really going to help Carpenter? Now he had a, he had a great partial season with the Yankees um, a couple years ago after the St. Louis uh, uh, let him go. Then last year, um, he back under 200 again and not playing well. And the Padres dumped him. Atlanta picked him up, uh, or the, the Padres traded him. Atlanta then, after they got him in the trade, immediately released him. So what's that tell you about where they had him figured? So I don't know where he's going to play. I mean, a lot of it said yes, 26th man. And... It's not going to cost you anything but league minimum, $740,000. Um, and if they, you know, now he's still under contract with Atlanta. So, you know, the one good thing about that is if they do decide to cut him loose, Atlanta still, is still on the hook for the salary. So even at that, it's still still fairly on the cheap side. Uh, he will provide some veteran leadership. I, that's a given. You know, there are people out there, well, if they need to bring him and they should have traded Goldie and Arenado, why can't they provide leadership? You know, get out of here with this bullshit. Okay? Get out of here. Not everybody leads the same way. They don't. You know, you have different different guys lead in different ways, and that's, and that's the way it is with Goldie and, and, and Arenado. Besides that, Outside of Contreras and maybe a couple of pitchers here and there, that I think Matts is one of them, uh, and not counting the new guys we just signed. You know, the majority of that team, the vast majority of that team, is under 30 years old, and a lot of them are under 28. 
So that's a lot of guys to provide leadership for. Now I say, I know I hear you screaming out there. Oh yeah, but you know they it, they should be able to in the clubhouse meeting. Okay, fine. It doesn't hurt to have a little more leadership. Again, as long as he's not hurting you, he's the twenty sixth man, so he's not going to be the immediate backup when uh, you know Goldie goes down because you've got Burleson for that. You know he's not going to go in and back up uh, Arenado at third base because you've got Gorman for that. You know, at shortstop, he's never played shortstop anyway, but at second base, Gorman, Donovan, Edmund are are already well ahead of, of where, if of uh, 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 Carpenter, excuse me. Um, could he play for Walker? Maybe here and there? Yeah, maybe. You know, but I just don't think, I, I, as much as I've looked at it, I just don't see him being that big of an impact. And like I said, if he isn't performing, they're going to get rid of him. I don't think they're going to be any shy about that. The last couple of years, they've kind of showed that, that they, you know, they are going to look for performance out of you. Um, now, as term, we've talked about the rotation line. In terms of the bullpen, uh, closer obviously this year is going to be Helsley, which I have no problem with. I mean, he put together a good season. Even with the injury in the middle, posting a 2.45 ERA, a 2.55 FIP, he had 14 saves, a 74% save rate. Um, so, I, and, and unless they sign, and I don't think there's any closers left to sign, but unless they sign one, I, he will be your closer. Uh, Jojo Romero uh, became a very good back end uh, option, if you will, uh, especially when Helsley was hurt, uh, converting three out of five save opportunities, posting a 3.68 ERA. But his FIP, and this is why I say ERA is not the be-all, end-all, because his FIP was a 2.22. So a lot better than his ERA is going to give you, going to suggest to you. He had a 4-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, he makes a good uh, fire fireman, if you will. You know, come in, put out a fire in, in an inning, and, and move on. Um, he's got... Uh, only 35% of his inherited runners scored last season. And, you know, he's he's going to be a decent back-end piece. Giovanni Gallegos. I know a lot of you guys don't like Giovanni Gallegos. You've, you've bitched and moaned and griped and complained. But he's actually pretty good. He's got a career 65% save rate. Um, he closed in 22 and 21. Uh, and it's understandable fans cringe when you see him because of the, the last two seasons. He does let a lot of inherited runners score. And people look at you know certain games and like oh he gave up this many right he gave up five. yeah that's gonna happen okay it's a relief pitcher live with it all right uh but i think he'll be he'll be okay in that seventh eighth inning role uh john king who came to st louis in the montgomery deal montgomery stratton deal last year he had a pretty good year for st louis a low one four five era now his fip was high 3.84 FIP, but that's still not bad. It's still under four. Um, he had very few inherited runners and a low 14% inherent runner scoring rate. So he's another one I think you'll see in that sixth, seventh, eighth inning uh, mix and for St. Louis this year. Ryan Fernandez was the Rule 5 pickup from the Red Sox. Now he will have to be carried on the roster or he'll be go back to the Red Sox. He's only a minor, He only had minor league experience last year. For, for the most part, I think he made a cup of coffee in the in the big leagues. But um, he went through A, double A. He's always had a pretty decent record, uh, except for last year. Um, his triple A numbers were just 
horrendously off the charts. A six over six on his ERA. His runs per game are not have uh, six seven five. He had a WHIP of one point five six. He did did have a good strikeout rate. Um, Thirty five Ks in thirty innings. Um, so he's going to get a chance to prove himself in uh, in the spring training. And like I said, if he shows up and pitches well, he'll be on the club. If not, he'll probably end up back in uh, in Boston. Uh, now, Kittredge, the uh, pitcher we got for O'Neill, uh, posted very good above average numbers just about everywhere he's been. He could be a valuable sixth inning, seventh inning guy coming off of Tommy John surgery last year now, though. He did pitch 154 games and with a 309 ERA, 343 FIP, had a whip of 1.2. He's, again, not another, another not a big strikeout guy, uh, only 8.6 per nine. Um, and which is, I guess, since they, it's not a big strikeout guy, but he's a good strikeout guy. He can get you some strikeouts. Um, has a good strikeout to walk rate of 3.68, so he's got good control, which is what you want to see for a relief pitcher. Uh, Nick Robertson uh, was who they got from Boston for Tyler O'Neill. We've rated Boston a lot this year. Um, he'll get uh, good looks for uh, in the bull, in, for, in the bullpen. He's 25. Uh, not arbitration eligible till 27, so we got a couple years to work with him. Uh, now, he did have a high ERA with uh, Boston and the Dodgers last year, but only a 3.88 FIP. Um, now, what does concern me is his whip. He gov- does give up a lot of hits, so he's going to have to get his control, make sure that those are ground balls and not fly balls. His strikeout rate is good at 10.5 per nine. Uh, he also uh, 3.6 free passes to hitters, so he could be a work in progress. Um, uh, 3.6 uh, that's 3.6 walks per game or per nine last year. So he, he's going to need some work in progress, uh, but uh, we'll see. He may he's probably one's going to be slated for AAA to see what they do or what he does. I don't think he'll be with the team when they come north. You know, then you have the guys that are going to be fitting in the middle, like a Zach Thompson, like a Matthew Libertor, Andre Pallante, uh, Drew Rahm, uh, Adam Klofstein. A lot of these guys that they picked up last year at the deadline uh, that fit that long relief starter role, I think you're probably going to see more That's Zach uh, Zach Thompson and Libertor and probably Rahm, although uh, I think Rahm's going to be slated for a lot of innings in triple a uh because he just did not have a good uh, big league experience last year if you will um so i think what you know i think that's what you've got in in that terms uh, a couple one guy i think that uh, people are talking about a couple guys really that are in the minors that they're talking about are victor scott the second and thomas sagacy now sagacy's the guy we got in uh i believe it was the flaherty deal um, he had a really good, uh, good, uh, half a year in, in, uh, the minors, uh, hit very well at double a kind of faltered at Memphis a little bit, but he's got some good pop in his bat and he's not bad with the glove, good middle infielder. So he's somebody that they might be able to bring up in a year or two. Victor's got the second. Stole 93 bases last year in triple and between uh, uh, high A and double A ball. He's a minor league Gold Glove winner. 
And, you know, when he gets up here, he's going to challenge. He's going to be like Walker. When he gets up here, he's going to play. I mean, they're not going to bring him up and sit this kid. So whenever he comes up, and I don't think it'll be this year. I think he's... I think he's slated for AAA this year, for the most part. You could see him in the in uh, in uh, September as a September call up, but I think he's going to be AAA most of the year. So those are a couple of guys I think you want to keep a lookout on. So I want to talk some college sports right now, uh, but right after I talk about protection. Now, just like a quarterback stays protected in the pocket, you need to have the things in your life protected. Because as we all know, life's going to throw you a curveball every now and again. And that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They're going to help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. I mean, that's how they roll, folks. That number again, 636-764-6294. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. Because they do that too. Maybe I can get them on the show someday. We'll have to see. Uh, With work and kids and social functions, we all have busy lives. We do. So you can email Sean, Sean Wiley at Allstate.com. That's S-E-A-N-W-I-L-E-Y at Allstate.com. Talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Well, a little bit of NCAA. Michigan is the top dog in college football for 2024. They defeated the University of Washington 34 to 13 in the national championship game. Not a complete runaway as the score would suggest, however. Michigan uh, only led by seven at the end of the third quarter. Now, they would dominate the fourth, scoring 14 unanswered points. Michigan, though, would fully use the running game as Blake Corum had 134 yards on 21 carries and two touchdowns. Donovan Edwards had a big, uh, big runs on the first quarter. One for 41 yards, one for 46 yards. Scored a touchdown on both. He in all, in all he would carry the ball six times for 104 yards. So, what is Michigan's reward for all this? Uh, not just the trophy, but <laughs> they got to find. They had to get a new head coach because Jim Harbaugh is leaving the Big Blue to coach the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, offensive coordinator Sharon Moore has already been named head coach for the Wolverines for next year. Now, before the national championship had that big flap with Florida State being left out of the college football playoffs. And uh, after FSU played in the Orange Bowl and were thoroughly uh, just uh, embarrassed, uh, if you will, by Georgia, a lot of people were saying... You know, see, you didn't deserve to be in the playoffs anyway. Well, not exactly 100% true, I don't think. I mean, realistically, they they did have the record to be there, if you will. Uh, but in that game against Georgia, they were missing 19 players who either opted out due to the NFL draft or announced intentions to transfer. And uh, this included their top defensive players, their two best wide receivers. Opposing coach Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia, he spoke out against that travesty that occurred. Now, his quote was near the end of his press conference, and he said, and 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 I'll read it to you, let me say something uh, 
and maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe this will be a bad soundbite, but people need to see what happened tonight. They need to fix this. It needs to be fixed. It's very unfortunate that they, and he was talking about Florida State, who have a good football team and a good football program are in the position that they're in. And, you know, first let me say, Kirby Smart is not wrong. He is not wrong. And I, you, you've, you've heard my feelings on the transfer portal. I've talked about it with Deion Thomas before and, and a number of others. You know, when you have upwards of a thousand kids every year trying to find a different school to play just because they're upset with their playing time or they think they can now with the NIL, they can get a better NIL deal somewhere. You've got teams, and I'll tell you who it's hurting. You got you got these teams like a Florida State, you know, who, yeah, okay, the ACC is not the conference, the SEC or the Big Ten is. You played that full season to get where you're at, and then you're going to quit and jump ship. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's because they have to be in class in the spring next year. Why? Why? So they can be part of spring drills? Who cares? Who really flipping cares? I don't. Why? Why do you have to have them there in the spring? They don't need to be there. So, you know, that's one of the few things that I say needs to be changed on the transfer portal. Uh, and I, you know, I'll get to that in here in just a second. You know, because because the, the, this transfer portal thing can change uh, teams in a heartbeat. Now, I understand the kids that want to, you know, have a shot at the NFL, don't want to maybe play in that bowl game. But, you know, I, I can kind of understand it. But the other thing is I don't understand it. Because they said, well, we'll we'll play it. And, and this happened last year with Illinois. Devon Weatherspoon, Chase Brown, uh, Sidney Brown. They all opted to not play in the bowl game. And then turned around and played in the senior bowl and the other uh, all-star games. Now people say, oh, they're all, but they're only in there for a few plays. And then, and I, well, why would you just be in there for a few plays when you can let them see you in an entire game? So I don't understand that, really. I mean, I do, but I don't. So, Kirby Smart also had this to say. I know things are changing, and they're going to change next year. You know what? And he's talking about the playoffs expanding to 20 teams. Uh, There's still going to be bowl games outside of those. People got to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for these those kids on that sideline. And again, he's talking about Florida State that had to play in a game and didn't have their full arsenal. It affected the game 100%. And again, he's right. And like I said, the changes he's referring to is the fact that there are going to 20 games. And the NCAA is going to say, well, this is because we're we're helping uh, create the spirit of competition. That's a flat-out lie. And you and I both know it. Anybody that thinks it's for it's for competition, they're expanding to 20 or 12 teams, not 20, excuse me, I said 20, 12 teams. Anybody that thinks they're expanding to 12 teams for competition competition's sake, uh, I got a bridge I got a bridge over in Arizona to sell you, okay? Because they aren't. It's for money. It's for TV contract. They get more money if it's a playoff game than it's just a regular bowl game. So don't let that let that whole competition crap fool you. The NCAA does not care 
about the teams or the players or anybody else. Coaches, they could care less. All they care about is that all God Almighty dollar they're going to get in advertising for those three for those new playoff games. You know, it's the same thing as the schools involved in that in the in the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. You know, it, it's just that's the way it is. They expanded from thirty-two to sixty-four. Then they expanded from sixty-four to sixty-eight. Now I hear there's been rumblings of expanding and even uh, to like seventy-two. It's stupid. All they're doing it for is so they can get a few extra games to make a few a couple extra bucks. Are you really that goddamn greedy? You really, okay? So now again, I don't know how, and I, I've talked about this with Russ Robinson. You know how that uh, twelve-team expansion is going to affect now that uh, uh, the Pac-12 is officially, well, I shouldn't say officially, but I haven't heard any re, uh, any uh, efforts to save it. Uh, they're gone out of the mix because it was a Power Five. Uh, now we don't have Power Five anymore, um, unless the ACC grabs a couple teams or the Mountain West uh, gets a few extra teams in and, and but I just don't see it happening so that's going to change a little bit you know and, and it's not just Kirby Smart speaking out about this whole thing you know um, on January 2nd Dean Straka for CBS.com said there were a number of games that saw teams being shorthanded with the exception uh, of the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl now the situation is not going to change till the NCAA addresses what he believes are three reasons we are seeing a number of mass defections. And those are the early signing period, which I already talked about, the fall transfer portal, and the NIL no-goes. He said, quoting now, The problem is not the bowl games or the bowl system. The problem is the unregulated circumstances around it now that doesn't occur in any other sport. That's what has to be fixed. Now, the first two of these items are kind of intermixed. The fall transfer portal window open up early December and goes through the playoff season. And then there's another round of transfer portal in the spring. Now, in the middle of all that transfer stuff is the three-day signing period for the high school kids, the, 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 the kids you're bringing in from high schools. Now, Carapelli uh, suggested that... Um, uh, back up one quick second here. The... Uh, Dean Strocker wrote the article. He was talking with executive director Nick Carapelli. Now, Carapelli suggests that there may be only, should only be one transfer window at the end of the academic year. And I like this idea. I really do. Because that is going to protect a lot of different things. And it's going to give some kids a time to reflect and look back. You know, it's going to make uh, what they do a little bit more, they got to put thought process into it instead of a knee jerk. I mean, if you look at it, the regular season ends for most teams the last week of November for first week of December. And then you have the teams that are preparing for the bowl games. They're also involved in this, the early signing period for high school kids. So why add that early uh, fall transfer portal? Why allow that to happen? So now you're not only dealing with trying to get the high school kids to sign letters, now you got to take care of all these kids that are in the transfer portal. So get rid of that 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 spring or that fall transfer portal do one in the spring after i like the idea and it helps everybody it's going to help the schools it's going to help the high school kids you know maybe you might start seeing more high school kids actually go maybe you start seeing less people in the transfer portal i don't know if that'll all happen but we'll see the other thing is here 
I'd also like to see for one true simple reason that these kids are students and should be students first and foremost. I know that is an outdated dinosaur attitude. I realize that. But I do believe that if you want to play college football, you should compete for you should compete complete, excuse me, your academic year. I mean, really, you should. You should go through, finish your academic year, then if you want to move on, move on. And the kids, they they transfer with no consequences. They don't have any consequences if they transfer. It, nothing. So the NCAA does limit immediate transfers to one, meaning the ability to play without sitting out a season. You get one of those, then you have to apply for a special uh, a waiver uh, to do that if you transfer a second time. Um, and like I said, the NIL further complicates things. And, uh, you know, you've got teams that are competing. It's, it's not free agency, but it is. I mean, that's what you've got to think about it. Uh, you know, this, this place going to mean Kansas is going to be able to play, uh, put out more NIL money than, uh, Southern Miss, uh, or Michigan's going to be able to put out more NIL money than Dayton. I mean, that's just the way it is. So the, something's going to have to happen then on the NIL front as well. Now I have my own idea and it's, and I agree first registered. I agree with the first option of reducing the transfer portal. I would limit it to 90 days and it takes effect one month before the end of the academic year. I'll give them one month prior to when they graduate, but they still have to graduate or, or not graduate. Um, what they still have to finish that year. Second, make all transfers a one year sit out. No more immediate play. Unless there is a coaching change or family duress. Those are the only two situations I can see allowing a kid to play immediately after he transfers. Make him sit out of here. That's going to reduce a lot of those transfers. Third, all NIL contracts will coincide with the academic year. If an athlete leaves early, he forfeits any future payments. Because right now they don't. Right now, a kid can transfer and go sign with another school and get and have basically two NIL contracts. And that just ain't right. I don't care how you look at it. That just ain't right. Uh, fourth, place a cap on all NIL payments. You can't be just spending money willy nilly, and and because you do create some other things too. If you're paying this, if you're paying the 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 center, um, eight hundred thousand a year on an NIL, but um, the running back is only getting a hundred thousand a year NIL. You know you got a little problem there. So I think maybe make, you know, do something to that. And I see all those things is doable. I think it's all possible. I think the NFL could also chip in with maybe a developmental league that like the NBA's got. I mean, if you got kids that aren't interested in school, why not have a developmental league? It doesn't have to be a full-time league uh, like the NBA, but, you know, have something where they can, they can uh, present their wares, if you will. And, you know, see what happens with that. Okay, let's switch to some things real quick here on Illinois. I'm, I know I'm running long tonight, but like I said, I've been off for over a month, so I got a lot, a lot to say. Uh, the football season, for all practical purposes, for Illinois was a train wreck, and I mean that literally. It was a train wreck. Fans, coaches, they all, we everybody had high hopes for the season after the going, going eight and five last year. Um, but you had to also figure you were losing some players in Brown and Witherspoon. Well, both Browns, Witherspoon and a couple others. 
nobody in their right mind figured that it would be as rough as it got. I mean, when you have to start the season with a last-second field goal to beat Toledo. Now, granted, Toledo's a Mac, been a MAC champion for, I don't know, the last however many years. But a Big Ten school should not have to resort to a last-second field goal to win that game. Uh, but they did. Then you you have a let and you figure that's a a game that okay you get a big uh, emotion out of that. They went into Kansas and just went through the motions. Um, then you know you right after that you got to play Penn State and of course you know that nobody thought we could win that game and we didn't. Uh, then you have to hold on to win against Florida Atlantic. Uh, you know. The, People were happy for the win, but it's like, are you kidding me? It's just, you know, these are teams we should be beating, you know, handily. We shouldn't have to wait and, and, and wait out the game. Um, I, but I think the, the the real down play of the season um, was losing to Nebraska um, and then getting just thoroughly embarrassed by Purdue. And there's no way Purdue should have beaten us as bad as they did. Um, but then they turned around, they won three out of their next four. And you think, okay, this is fantastic. We may be a shot at a bowl game. We might be able to redeem this season. And then you have back-to-back losses at Iowa and Northwestern. And it really, really just, it just was a bad season all the way around. Some good things come out of it. Um, you know, we did see some guys in the post uh, that uh, made the uh, postseason rosters, Isaiah Williams, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph. Uh, you know, of course, now all three of those guys are gone. They're going to the pros. Reggie Love is transferring out. Um, they lose a couple of guys from the O-line. Uh, wide receiver Casey Washington's graduating. So, you know, they're going to have some other holes to fill. And they've already got some guys already on the team, I think, can fill those holes. I think wide receiver Malik Elzey is someone who showed some early skills, uh, or some skills early in the year. Uh, running back Caden Fagan, I think that kid is just a tank. He got some really good exposure when McCray went and Love were both out. Uh, Luke Altmyer will be back under center, and I think he'll ha- he's had another a full year now as a starter, so he'll be a little bit better. Um, we've picked up some uh, beef for the offensive line to kind of shore the uh, shore that up a little bit, so we'll see how that works into it. Um, you know, we got a couple of kids going to come back from injury. Um, on in the defensive backfield, so that's going to help. So we'll see how it all pans out. Uh, but it's not just players are going to have to worry about because uh, they have to uh, they let go of Andy Boo, the inside linebacker coach, and Antonio Fernellas, the cornerback coach. Uh, also, wide receiver coach George McDonald uh, has left to take uh, the offensive coordinator, or excuse me, the wide receiver coach job at Ole Miss. Uh, one position they did fill though, the Atlanta added defensive back coach, Dave Gibbs, that her staff Gibbs is a 23 year coaching veteran who for the last three years has been a co-defensive coordinator and secondary coach at the university of central Florida. So, you know, the football team's got some work to do. And, uh, but uh, I think, uh, Bielema will have a handle on it. He's now got his players in the system that are going to be working with his system. Um, so we'll see how this all works out. 
Now, on the hardwood, Brad uh, Underwood's uh, Illini team is currently ranked 14th in the country with a 15-5 and record, 6-3 and in the Big Ten. They're averaging 82 points a game and letting, allowing only 68, uh, out-rebounding opponents by 10 rebounds a game. They're shooting 41% from the floor and 34% from the arc. Now, that can't be understated considering they were just barely above 30%, 30% from the arc last season. They've had some turbulence. Uh, they didn't have uh, superstar uh, swingman Terrence Shannon Jr. for five games. Uh, but in those five games, they did go 3-2. and two. They only lost to Purdue at West Lafayette, which is no shame in that because they were also the number one team in the nation at the time. And the, the loss that did hurt was Maryland at home, however. Um, they are 3-1 and one since his return, though, losing only to Northwestern up in Evanston. Now, the reason Shannon was gone, he was suspended pending criminal criminal proceedings in Kansas, stemming from an incident where he attended an Illinois-Kansas football game. He's charged with rape, uh, according to the reports, but it the rape is not what you would think of as a, 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 a as rape. Uh, the incident was, or the the situation was, that supposedly he had his arm around a woman and put his hand where it shouldn't have been and uh there was as they as they say uh digital penetration which that in kansas is considered rape Uh, now he has not there has been no grand jury there has been no indictments uh there really hasn't even been any i just don't understand how this whole thing is 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 gone to where it's at because this was during the kansas football game this was back, you know, uh, September. And they didn't bother trying to arrest him until December. So they've had all this time, and yet he was arrested and released after paying bond or posting bond and allowed to come back to Illinois. I, I, I'm, I'm a lot of people just, uh, didn't understand it. Well, the, after that happened, he was suspended by uh, Illinois, and it was pursuant to Illinois policy. This is not something they just picked on him for. Uh, it was the Illinois policy that uh, anybody involved in sexual misconduct is suspended from sporting events or uh, activities. Now, his fate went to the hands of Board of Review. They upheld the decision, so he retained a lawyer, and just recently was granted a preliminary injunction injunction to allow him back on the court. Uh, that and that the injunction stemmed from the fact that he does have a um, a good shot at making the NBA. I think he's ranked 14th right now as a 14th pick uh, in the NBA. So you know, being suspended is going to affect that, which affects his income. Um, and a judge saw that as uh, not giving him his due process and violating his 14th amendment rights so he was he granted a preliminary injunction allowing him to go back on the court so you know and brad underwood is more than happy to put him back on the court um he's still leading the team in in uh, uh points uh points per game so this is down a little bit from when he went on went on suspension but uh in the uh, interim while he was gone uh marcus damask was a one-man show um, he was just became the offense and the guy when you, that you wanted, 
but he's had some help too. With uh, Damascus now running at 15.2 points a game, Coleman Hawkins 11.9, and Quincy Garrier is 11.3 points a game. And Garrier, who had a slow start coming out of the off in the season with a wrist injury, he's got his outside da- outside shot down and been strong on the boards. He's leading the team in 7.9 rebounds a game. He has eight double-doubles this year, including two streaks of three games apiece. Uh, like I said, Damascus has scored double figures in 14 games this, this season so far and has five games of 20 points or more, including two, a 33-point game versus Florida Atlantic early in the season and a 32-point game against Northwestern. Uh, he's averaging about four, almost five rebounds a game and just over three assists per game. Coleman Hawkins, uh, the big story about him this year is his three-point shooting. He was, he was like 27% last year. His three-point shooting is now up to 36%. Uh, Ty Rogers, while not being a traditional point guard, has performed very well at the point, scoring a modest six points a game, but averaging five rebounds a game. Um, in short, the Atlanta guards are all good rebounders. Rogers, I said at 5'1", Damask at 4.8. Luke Goody's averaging four rebounds a game. And Justin Harmon, the, probably the shortest guard we got, is averaging 3.2. Um, and this team can score in so many ways. They can hit the outside shot. They can drive. Um, Damask is doing what they call the booty ball. Uh, he gets the ball at the top uh, near the free throw line and just works his guy, backs his guy back down and takes a nice little turnaround, you know, 8, 10, 12-foot jumper. Just uh, he, it, That's what they call booty ball now, I guess. Um and then you've got Shannon who can just drive and penetrate. You've got Gary A with a th- can hit the three. Goody can hit the three. Coleman's hitting a three now. Uh, Justin Harmon has, has come in and, and played some very good minutes. Freshman um, Dre Gibbs-Lawhorn and Amari Hansberry have been have provided some good minutes off the bench. Kind of the forgotten man, if you will, has been Dane Danger. Uh, he's only getting about four or five minutes a game. But when he's in there, he makes things happen. So, you know, all in all, this team is really working, uh, working well as a as a group. Uh, so we're at the halfway point of the season now. They play uh, in Ohio State tonight, um, and it's it's a win they're going to have to get because there's going to be from from this point on, it's going to be very few quad win quad one wins available in the Big Ten because uh, the Big Ten's down. Uh, you know, as I told um, um, Russ Robinson on our last NCAA report, you know, it, it would not shock me if only six teams from the Big Ten made the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's just the way it looks like with this 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 year's just not been good for the Big Ten. Uh, so, but anyway, that's going to do it for me tonight. And I want to thank you guys for joining me. And remember to check out Gateway City Sports at Gateway City Sports. You can find content on sports in and around the St. Louis bi-state area. A number of writers we have with Russ Robinson, Brian Swope, Gene Bonds, Tito Rivera, and yours truly. Check out the other podcast, The Team Arrivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. The Two for Three with the Mighty Moose, Mike Stevenson. The Derek King Sports Show with Derek King. Check us out at gatewaycitysports.com. And again, I hope you had a great uh, holiday season. hope uh, 24 brings you everything you want. And until I see you guys again, have fun, stay safe, and we'll see you again when we're talking sports on the bleachers. Good night, everybody.